This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today is Friday, June 4th. AMC stock is up, A government report is shooting down the existence of alien UFOs, and we're focused on the new jobs report. The U.S. Labor Department this morning reported that the economy added 559,000 jobs last month and that the unemployment rate fell from 6.1% to 5.8%. The big picture is this report played pretty well for those who believe the economy is recovering strong and also for those who think it isn't. That 559,000 number is objectively a really, really good number, more than double from April's disappointing report and way higher than any monthly jobs report from after the 2009 financial crisis. And the unemployment rate? Well, that's the lowest since before the pandemic. Critics, though, are already pointing out that economist estimates were for around 100,000 more jobs to be added. And there were even whispers of hitting 1 million, kind of suggesting that the jobs recovery is weaker than it should be and adding fuel to the argument that expanded unemployment benefits are keeping some people out of the workforce. So today we want to dig into the new jobs report, to go below the headline number and also understand what it means for President Biden's big spending plans. For that, we'll be joined in 15 seconds by Axios business reporters Courtney Brown and Felix Salmon. But first, this. We're joined now by Axios business reporters Felix Salmon and Courtney Brown. Courtney, you get this jobs report at 8.30 this morning. Your initial reaction is what? My initial reaction is good. Not as good as I was hoping, but good. And Felix, you were on the show last month talking about this kind of disappointing jobs report. I think we headlined it the abysmal jobs report. Do we now view that as an aberration or is there still something we take from those numbers? No, last month, they reiterated was really bad. There were not big upward revisions that maybe some people had hoped for. This month was good, but not very good. And ideally, it would have been better. And I think the thing that I'm taking away from this is that it is hard to recover from massive job loss. You can't just hire people at the click of a finger Hiring people is hard. It takes time. Hiring millions of people is hard. It takes time. We are going to be spending at least a year, probably even longer from now, just trying to hire back all those people whose jobs were lost in the first month or two of the pandemic. And I am not optimistic that we're going to suddenly find some wonderful nirvana of one million jobs created per month or anything like that. Courtney, one of the headlines here is that the unemployment rate went down to kind of a pandemic low. But then there's also this thing, this labor force participation rate, which was basically unchanged. Why does that number matter? Well, this number matters because it's a measure of, you know, how many people are hanging out on the sidelines that could, in theory, be brought back into 
the labor force. A lot of the economists I talked to today said that they're really looking towards the fall to kind of see a pickup, a strong pickup in hiring. I mean, many of the things that Felix just said are true. It is really hard to hire people. There was this idea that maybe when vaccin- people were getting vaccinated and and what have you, that you know, the job market would just, you know, snap back. But that's not happening as we're seeing. So I think a lot of people are looking to the fall when the unemployment insurance is set to expire in September. Kids are going to be back to back to school in theory, in person. Maybe that alleviates some of the pressure on parents who may not have childcare right now. And maybe once there is a solution, an in-person solution, they can go back to work. Another thing worth mentioning here is that when the jobs were initially lost, we had some hope that it might be a temporary thing, that people would just get their jobs back. But now, that was a year ago. People have taken advantage of the pandemic to move across the country, to change careers, to rethink their lives. The jobs that people get post-pandemic are not a lot of the time going to be the same jobs that they had. And that just makes it much more difficult to get that hiring done. Yeah, there's this narrative that once those expanded unemployment benefits go away, a bunch of those people on sidelines will rush back into the job market. Does this report give us any reason to believe or not believe that narrative? It gives us some reason to not believe that narrative. The The narrative is that if you're making $300 a week extra from federal unemployment benefits, that makes you less desirous of a job. And if that was the case then you would see that in hospitality and leisure and the hourly wages in the low hourly wages in in those sectors would be finding it very hard to compete with the unemployment checks in fact that was the one sector of the economy that did well that was where we got nearly you know most of the job gains came in that sector it was higher paying areas that were seeing more sluggish job losses in terms of whether the unemployment checks are holding back increased employment i think the answer seems to be no. Courtney, the one of the sectors that was interesting that lost jobs last month was construction. Not a huge amount of jobs, but it lost jobs. Even though it seems that everybody's talking about housing and building more homes, do we just chalk this up to kind of sky-high lumber and material costs, or, or, or is there something else there? This is not just a single-month phenomenon. The construction jobs in April were pretty not great either. But what we saw this month was a large amount of the construction jobs that were lost were not residential builders. These are people who build things like data centers or facilities that support e-commerce logistics. That's where the bulk of those job declines did happen. And yeah, it's a shortage problem, but not a worker shortage problem, a shortage of, of materials. All of these materials, like you just said, they're extremely expensive right now, hard to find. Um, and so when that happens, contractors may cancel projects. And that, in theory, may result in a loss of jobs. Phyllis, we heard President Biden uh, talk about the jobs report this morning, and he said we are, quote, on the right track. Are we? Yes, we're on the right track. The train, since Biden's a train guy, the train is not a super express. We don't have a French tachever zooming towards the wonderful jobs future. It's more of like a northeast regional Amtrak going chug, chug, chug. But we're on the right track. It's just we're going a bit more slowly than we might have liked. And Courtney, you know, as a piece of that, it seems to me that Biden has this really interesting kind of balancing act he has to do. On the one hand, he needs the job recovery to be going well, right? Because he's president. Every president wants jobs to be growing. 
On the other hand, he wants to spend trillions of dollars in part on the predicate of we need this money to get a jobs recovery. Is that a balance you think he can make? It's awkward, right? As president, you want to oversee uh, an economy that's booming, a job market that's flourishing. But on the other hand, he's trying to sell this package, as you just said, on the idea that we need this money to reboot the labor market. And if the labor market's doing well, well, Republicans might say, well, do we really need this money to reboot the labor market? Looks like the labor market's doing just fine. He's kind of really interesting, fine line that he's going to have to walk over the next few months. Felix, this job report comes in under what they call economist consensus. Last month's came way under. And it seems that the economists are wrong more than they're right. So should we just stop paying attention to the economists going into these reports? I'm all in favor of ignoring economists. I think that's a great idea. I think one thing we have learned is that when you have a relatively normal economy and the number of jobs created this month was mostly the same as the number of jobs created last month. Economists can just copy and paste and they know more or less where it's going to be. And it's no surprises. Right now, we are in a completely unprecedented time. No one has real visibility into what's going on in the economy in real time. It's hardly surprising that a bunch of economists sitting with models and spreadsheets are not going to get this right. We should probably not care too much what the expectations are, and we should concentrate more on what the actual numbers are. And by the way, the inputs that they're putting into these spreadsheets, like those inputs don't work anymore. There was once a time when the ADP report was like a really good indicator of what was going to happen when the government released its own jobs report. That the ADP report hasn't been a good predictor of what what is going to happen uh, in terms of jobs growth for months, for months. Last question, Courtney, for you, when you get the next jobs report, in one month from now, other than the headline number, what's going to be the next thing you scroll to to look at? Ooh, wages. Wages, of course. We saw a pretty big jump in wages in May, and I'm going to be looking for whether that continues. And, you know, that speaks to a lot of trends where we're constantly talking about inflation, right? But we're also talking about this idea that people are throwing around worker shortages. And if people are, in fact, having a hard time finding workers, well, they should be paying up to entice said workers. Courtney Brown, who writes the daily Axios Closer newsletter. Felix Salmon, who writes the weekly Axios Capital newsletter. You can get them both at signup.axios.com. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. Welcome back. What we're also watching today is Facebook, which announced that it's officially suspending former President Trump for two years based on his posts around the January 6th insurrection and following last month's review by the social network's quasi-independent oversight board. Three things to know. First, Facebook Global Affairs Chief Nick Clegg tweeted that after the two years is up, the company will, quote, assess the public safety risk. One possibility is the suspension will be extended. But if it's lifted, Trump will be subject to new enhanced penalties if he again violates Facebook's rules, including the possibility of permanent removal. Two, Facebook today also reversed its 2019 decision that what politicians post should remain up because of their fundamental newsworthiness, even if they're in violation of the rules. That goes into effect immediately. Three, no word yet on any of this from Donald Trump, who recently shut down his blog after just a 29-day run. But we're taping this at about 1 p.m. Eastern time, and by the time you listen to it, I'm sure he'll have said something. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Sabina Singani, Justin Kaufman, Naomi Shaven, and Alex Sugiara. Please be sure to leave us a review, and if you're not already following or subscribing to the podcast, do so. Have a great National Donut Day. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios Recap.